Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Cheats Movement Podcast. Yes, yes, I know we're about 10 minutes behind schedule. We are dealing with some technical issues as always, but I am very, very excited to talk about the midterm elections, to talk with some of the most in-the-know people to have this discussion with. So with no further ado, you can see them already on the screen. I've got the chair of the Democratic, look, the Richmond City Democratic Committee, Jewel Jordan, is with us. Jewel, welcome to the Chiefs Movement. Hey, hey, hey. Thanks for having me up here. I appreciate it. All right. And we got my main man, Takeen Cooper. I know, look, how you want me to introduce you, brother? I know it's, I know you do a lot. I'm just a concerned citizen, man. <laughs> Later, we'll be joined by Alan Charles Chipman as well. Uh, you can you can send your comments via Facebook, via YouTube, via Twitter. I'm, I'm going to try to get to as many comments and questions as possible. But it is going on quarter to 8 p.m. on Wednesday, November 9th. It is one day. After what was supposed to be a very, very, very sad day for the National Democratic Party and Democrats in Virginia were, I know, on pins and needles. Let me let me start with you, Jewel. How do you feel today as you go into Wednesday? It's not done. We got a lot. There's there's some major races still to be determined. But how do you feel today? Uh I feel restful and at peace now because it is over and we spent and did everything that we could do here in Virginia, specifically here in Richmond. It was an honor and a pleasure. And I just want to thank everybody for coming out and voting for Congressman McEachin. He won overwhelmingly in Richmond city alone. He won by more than 80%. So thank you for that. We took some hits in Virginia when we lost Congressman Luria down in the Hampton Roads area. So that's not, you know that great. we also have the national races coming up and i'll let you get into them further but you know we have a runoff and i don't understand why but <laughs> we're gonna get into that it was it has been announced that it seems as if there will be a runoff in georgia that very well could determine the balance of power in the senate i'm going to move over to takeen takeen as you woke up today as you've been following this for months and months on in, basically they started following the midterm elections as soon as President Biden got elected. Uh, you get to the day after election day. How do you feel? What is your overall feeling about how uh, this process went? Hey, I feel so much better here today having this conversation with y'all than I did 12 months ago having the conversation after election 2021. I remember we did a recap. Um, relieved uh also inspired because as jewel shared you know we have the runoff in georgia but also we're gonna have a special election in virginia for the uh virginia senate which that'll be a critical seat because congresswoman-elect kiggins was a member of virginia senate so um you know i think that's one of the things in virginia right like we're happy we celebrate yet last night today a little bit we gotta get right back to work because we got a lot of work to do next year, reclaiming the majority in the House um, and enhancing the majority in the Virginia Senate. Well, let's talk about Virginia first before we talk about the national landscape. There were three kind of big races there. there I, I I would call it three. There's probably more if you're looking at the, if you count the first as well. Um, but everyone looked at the 10th, which was Jennifer Wexon's seat. They looked at everybody, especially in central Virginia was looking at the seventh, which was Abigail Abigail Spanberger's seat. Obviously, uh, Jewel mentioned McEachin, never never really in doubt, especially after when you looked at what, what redistricting did. However, if you look at what redistricting did in the second, you could say it kind of went the other way for Loria. Um, so the question I'd have, and we'll start with you, Takeen, when, you know, Tuesday morning before any, you know, while, while the votes are just started, polls just open, what would you have said prediction wise was the outcome of those Virginia, especially those three races, the 10th, the seventh, uh, in the second. And 
again, how, how how do you feel today based off of that? And is there any particular ones you want to dig into of why you thought it went the way it did? Um, I felt pretty comfortable about the 10th. So I'll preface this by saying I tried to get out of the election prediction business after 2016. <laughs> no, one's, no one's good at it. Let me tell you, no one's good at election predictions right now. Uh, so I felt pretty good about the 10th. I felt the 7th, you know, a month and a half ago, I, I was pretty confident about the 7th after Delegate Guzman introduced, uh, well, went public about her intentions on the, the trans bill. Mm. Um, I thought that that could possibly hurt Congresswoman Spanberger. And um, I was really uneasy. I thought we might be in trouble in a second. Mm-hmm. For and a then- number of reasons, but primarily redistricting, which you know, I'm, I'm sure we might talk about the impact of um, the commission and the referent, the constitutional amendment here in Virginia. But redistricting, the second looks a bit different. Now, lost uh, Norfolk specifically. Right. We can we can we can kind of talk about it as it's going along because basically what happened in the second is um, that 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 second district had the I guess some of the biggest pockets of Democratic votes were in the Norfolk area redistricting took those seats and moved them to Bobby Scott, which was pretty much a safe democratic seat. Anyway, very similar to what redistricting did in the seventh, where they took democratic votes that were in the Mm -hmm. suburbs of Henraco, Western Henraco, moved those into the fourth to McEachin um, and made, uh, you know, basically a safer Republican seat and a very competitive, uh, almost, I would say a Republican leaning seventh seat. Right. Yeah, I mean, the redistricting commission, in theory, I think, you know, it was great. You know, nonpartisan commission um, removed the politics out of drawing lines. But we know um, we've been in this game a long time. Like theory doesn't go very far. And so the redistricting commission hurt us. Um, it hurt us last night. And I think that we had an opportunity. We had the majority um, had the opportunity to draw maps and, you know, some people call it gerrymandering, but, um, I think we shot ourselves in the foot with the commission. Jewel, let me well, ask you. Yeah. Oh, no, jump, in, jump in, Jewel, jump in, Jewel. I didn't think it was a good idea, the redistricting um, commission. Like black women told them last year, don't do this. We screamed mm-hmm. it, we said it, and here we are. It goes back to listen to black women, you know, uh, so we see what happened with Loria, and it's it, and let's be real, Elaine Luria isn't a very left-leaning Democrat. You know, mm-hmm. she is very moderate, and so to see like the numbers there, Spanberger, I was very concerned about her as well, though. Mm-hmm. So to see that she pulled it out um, was great, but they did take those pockets, like you brought up, where they made Congressman Scott and Congressman Keechan's district super safe. And the individuals, and listen, who who do they pull out? Those are the people that helped put in Congresswoman um, Spanberger and Congresswoman Luria, black folks. They mm-hmm. took us out and put us in very safe districts right. with a lot more folks. Were yeah, you- it was kind of you know like don't forget we got Congresswoman McKeachin's district because. Um, the Supreme Court said that they had packed everyone into Congressman Scott's district, mm-hmm. remember? Mm-hmm. And so we got the new district, and that's how we got Congressman McKeachin. And then they went back and essentially did the same thing again. Yep. And it, it, it Jewel, let me ask, is there anything that surprised you in the Virginia races uh, last night? Were, 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 was there anything that you were like, man, I, I didn't see that coming? No, honestly, no. Um, I thought that Fairfax County, with their amazing committee that they had, they were going to pull it out. Northern mm-hmm. Virginia always pulls it out. They keep us on pins and needles, come in a little bit later, as well as Hampton Roads. But I wasn't surprised by that. Unfortunately, we have um, Herb, who was a Herb In the Jones, first district. Yep. In the first. We knew it was a fight. He tried. Um, it's hard to go up against Whitman who has like been there and has that network and those finances. So it wasn't that big of a surprise, but it isn't great that we did lose Congresswoman Gloria. 
And like Takeen brought up, um, it is Virginia. Wednesday, we get a little break. So give your volunteers a chance to rest up. But <laughs> I had folks texting and calling today and I'm like, sis, please. And, um, but we are gonna have us. And I don't wanna jump too far into um, 2023, but I want people who are watching to understand the General Assembly protects Virginia from what happens up there. And so that's why we need to make sure that we do have it a Democratic majority to get things done, because it also protects us from our governor, who was a Republican. So mm. keep that in mind. Now, let me ask this, because I know candidates also, no, there's, I think you mentioned it really well, especially when you talk about the first incumbency, finances, being on television. Whitman was all over television. And I, I knew people that are, are fairly engaged that was just saying, hey, look, I see Rob Whitman's TV commercials everywhere, like all in the central Virginia area. Um, is there things that you have seen, especially in this midterm, between any of the big three races or, or more, whether it's a Herb Jones or McEachin or Bobby Scott's campaigns, was there things that you've seen where the candidates did particularly well or things that candidates needed to particularly work on um, because we also know that candidates drive these elections and they kind of steer the ship and they're the ones that are going to ultimately make the call in regards to what is the best use of their campaign time and resources. Is there any particular uh, candidates or races that you said, hey, they did this really well or I wish they would have done this? Go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Either one. Okay. <laughs> and it's, it's important. It's an important question because people need to hear what they need to do better or or what they've done well. So so I think something that's an opportunity for us in Virginia um, that I'll say a number of Virginians and maybe most Virginians didn't realize that, um, you know, our General Assembly got us um, same day registration now. And I think that's an opportunity for us moving forward that, um, you know, we can we can build a coalition of people and get them to vote at them at that moment. So, you know, in other states, we see like souls to the polls. And um, every year when you're at a polling place, people show up because they get excited. They start seeing commercials and they show up and like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm not registered here or I used to live in Hampton Roads and I moved to Richmond. It's like, oh, I'm sorry, it's too late. So I think that's an opportunity for us, you know, as we talk about ground games, especially in these more urban areas, we can say, hey, we're going to get a van. We're going to go to this neighborhood um, or we're going to go to this church and then we're going to take people to vote immediately. And so I think that's something that we can really, really lean into in Virginia because it's an opportunity because We've had good Democrats in the General Assembly, and that's something that they were passionate about. There was a very, very, very hard time, and this was, I think, across the state of getting volunteers in general to come out. They're tired, and they're overwhelmed, and I think they haven't been given like the respect that they deserve. And so this year it was, we wanted, so personally we wanted volunteers, we held a, a virtual rally for Congressman McEachin for RCDC. RCDC members vote. It's not about getting them out to vote. It's getting them out to volunteer because mm -hmm. we're there at the polls and we know if you go there and they send you away without providing you the access to a provisional ballot, then that's wrong. And there's no one there to stop you. So that's why we wanted volunteers at our precincts. We wanted volunteers there to make sure there wasn't any type of intimidation, you know, going surrounding and that curbside was done. And so it was just a very hard push for a lot of committees to get volunteers out this year. And I think uh, campaigns need to look at why. I think they need to look at not coming to us, you know, and I'm not talking about constitution, but coming to many committees in October or late September instead of always participating. Like we have a congressman who's always on our calls and always participating. So it's all easy um, to go out there and help, but you have other folk that just show up and they're like, whatever. Then you want to be called for volunteers. You have like a uh, Congressman Scott area that's safe. So you know what? He isn't. 
So get, like you said, a bus. But we don't just a bus there. We're talking about busting them out to Spanberg, busting them out to Lurius area, busting them out to these other places. Use the entire Commonwealth because we need you all to represent all of us when you're there. Mm -hmm. So I think there has to be a, a, a re-messaging of the importance of volunteers. And I think Virginia is in, in particular tough on people like yourself, Jewel, that as a committee chair, uh, people like the Keen who is who's very active because, like you said, you get a you get what a forty eight hour break, a twenty four hour break, and then you're back at it. And then as soon as that's over, you're back at it. And and let's just let's call a spade a spade. Last mm -hmm. year was last year the Republican sweep was a, was really deflating for a lot of folks that were uh, looking at Virginia. I think in a way that may have been inaccurate, right? Like yeah. they were looking at Virginia in a way that was either not purple, but leading blue. And they didn't really put in, they didn't put in perspective that if Republicans nominate candidates that walk the walk, talk to talk and look the look, then Virginia is actually still a very purple environment. Um, you know, and, and it's, it, it's just, you know, Virginia had some, let's just call it like it is. Virginia had some breaks because if, if you, you know, they kind of rejected the Trump-like candidate. But we had a statewide run against Ken Cuccinelli and a statewide run against Ed Gillespie with candidates that were very competitive in those. You know, Glenn Youngkin was a different type of uh, a type of candidate. And I do think that the landscape at the time may have, you know, I think it was a much more jarring. We talked about Takeen, we talked about you coming on after that election. And I think a lot of people were actually really surprised. Right. And they might have actually morale might have been a little bit lower and it's harder to get to get people to actually not like said, not not people to vote, but to people to volunteer. Uh, Jewel, let me let me ask this as we as we're looking at the national landscape. And I know, look, we, we, I follow you on Twitter. We talk we talk back and forth um, and I, I and and it seems to be today that it's starting to come out in some of the exit polling and in some of the um, national um, kind of commentary that the, I guess, what's the word? I guess the narrative on black male voters is starting to turn a little bit. It's starting to say black male voters did indeed vote in Georgia. They did indeed vote yeah. in Pennsylvania. And yeah. I'm going to tell you now, I, Everybody I know, I was depressed on Monday talking about black male voters and what right. we need to do um, to make sure black male voters are. I had a whole lot of thoughts and they weren't they weren't positive. When you look at the landscape today, in particularly because we know. And, you know, historically, we know where black women voters have, have been and where they deliver their vote. And certainly said not to say that we take them for granted, but the conversation was I heard up to 15 to 18 percent of black males might be voting for, um, you know, Republican candidates or candidates against black candidates, black women. And, and it just I didn't I, I couldn't put two and two together. I didn't understand it. What I guess the question is now today, one, did you hear that narrative? Was this something that you're concerned about? And then two, today, do you feel differently? As I actually do feel a little bit differently. I feel a little bit better. Not a lot, because I mean, I still see Killer Mike. I see what's happening. But I still, I feel a little bit better about black male voters today. Right, right. So I'll go ahead and break it down for those watching and let you know that it wasn't black male voters. It wasn't black women voters. It was white folks that went ahead and decided not to put Stacey Abrams in the position that she deserves. When we look at the count, when we look at the, um, the voters, the number of black men that did vote for um, the other guy, even if they did for Stacey, she still wouldn't have won. That's, yeah, that's what I saw to today. Men. That's what I saw today. Yep. If every black male right. voted for uh, Warnock, it still sure. wouldn't have changed, or Stacey it still wouldn't have changed, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Right. It comes down to we know how white men are going to vote, but we have white women who continuously vote against their own interests because of their connection and their adjacency to whiteness and the white male privilege. 
And so it's kind of hard to legislate somebody's heart or to kind of say, hey, you know, what are you doing? So it kind of also takes us back to what Takeem mentioned earlier of bringing in and registering new voters. Because people who vote are going to vote. So we got to bring in some new ones. And I will say this, Takeem, I'll let you take it. But uh, speaking of new voters, voters under 30 seem to turn out pretty heavily all across the country uh, and make they seem to have made their voices heard on a lot of things, not just candidates, but ballot initiatives and uh, court. Uh, you know, there's a lot of states, not Virginia, but a lot of states that elect judges. It seemed like uh, candidates under 30 really let their voices be heard. Uh, so I'll ask you about young voters, but I also do want to get as, as a black male here on this panel, and we're going to bring in Alan very shortly. Uh, what was, did you hear that narrative and did you believe it? What were you thinking? Because I'm going to tell you, I was I was depressed and sounding the alarm at the same time. Yes, I did hear that narrative. So first about the young voters. Um, and I know this is something that Jewel is doing here in Richmond, but she's trying to enlarge that tent and turn some of those young voters into activists and volunteers, which I think like you're doing great work. So kudos to you on that. Um Yes, and actually, I think you and I share the um, we we exchange a few messages, cheats about the the narrative about uh, Kemp probably Kemp more than a few, no problem, right? <laughs> um, and so I um, I was relieved once I started seeing that uh, the exit polling data. I I have tried to dig into still like some of the differences in. Um, Abrams and Warnock. And so the thing that I've like that I'm seeing with a number of uh, incumbent governors around the country, governors are pretty popular because of the federal stimulus dollars, um, irrespective of their party. And I think that's could be one of the reasons why we see Evers and Barnes in Wisconsin running a little bit different as well. Um, so mm -hmm. Evers, the incumbent Democratic governor, poised to be uh, reelected and Barnes is going to come up a little bit short. And so what, any, um, what a great race he ran. What a great race. And, and so I think that's one of the factors, um, you know, as Jewel shared that um, w once we start looking at these cross tabs and by race and gender, it's like, wow, like this isn't what I'm seeing um, in, in polling before elections, right? And so one of the things that I've always uh, researched and looked into was, you know, some people call it the Bradley effect, some people call it the Wilder effect, but how often um, candidates of color underperform um, at the ballot after the polling beforehand. And so the theory is that when people are being polled, they don't want folks to think that they are racist so they'll say oh i'm, I'm voting um at first it was bradley but we saw it with with uh right we saw it with Wilder Wilder in 89 here in virginia you know uh, it's it, that's also kind of crazy because you saw a little bit of the, uh, a little bit of reversal with that with obama as well but go ahead yeah and but that was one of the things that uh wilder he he was kind of standing on the table beating the drum in 2008 november 2008 saying hey um don't take anything for granted because we've seen this story before. Because I think what well, Wilder was up nine and a half points in Poland right before the elect, like weekend before. So, so historically, by what a half point, and everyone else yeah. ticket. They won much earlier they, that night, and he was the, the top the, ticket. The comedic, and that's not comedic, but the irony about the Wilder election now, especially if you look at, it, I, I don't know. You know, I'm mind as more more and more I travel the state, I'm mind boggled about what happened in '88 and '84. But um, the interesting thing about Wilder is Marshall Coleman came out very heavy pro life, and in the '80s, being very heavily pro life is not the same. It it, it, it was a overwhelmingly rejection, uh, and and by Wilder being the pro choice candidate, got a lot more votes than he ever would have had if if. Wilder wasn't the pro-choice, given what we know now about the final count of that that gubernatorial race. If Wilder hadn't been the pro-choice candidate, he would have lost. 
if there was a if it was a wash or if it was the spirit like we look at uh, abortion rights today, it, it, it's a different climate. But he won in the late '80s because at that time, Roe versus Wade and all that they was like, no, we are even Virginia was not, you know, a hard line pro life candidate. Let me let me do this, and I know we're coming up a little bit past the hour, and I'm Joe Jewel. You got you got a lot to do. I'm gonna bring in another uh, another person, a former candidate for city council here in the city of Richmond. Uh, my guy, Alan Charles Chipman. Uh, what is going on, Alan? I, I did want to get your take. I wanted to ask about and Joel. I know if you need to drop off, uh, just let me know at any time. But okay. if you want to stay, please stick around. Um, because we, you know, us, we, we need you. Us brothers, just, we probably go, look, we're going to definitely mess something up. I want to hear what Ace has to say. I don't wait for Alan. Right, we're going to mess something up if you ain't here to keep us straight. So, Alan, I did want to get your take in regards to your overall mood. And if the, if you had any opinions on what we were talking about just recently about the young vote and, and what we were seeing about the black male vote. Um, because, you know, it was believable, too. Don't 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 get it twisted. The the fifteen percent of black men uh, that was either voting for Kemp or voting for Rubio or or because you know those things were very believable. And I you know we just got to call it what it is. It was rooted in misogyny and mm-hmm. rooted in kind of this notion that certain people have to cater to certain other people. Um, it it was a lot of that. So what was your take, Alan? Um, well, well, first I'll talk about the young voters. I think um, when, you know, the Biden administration um, really took a stand on um, canceling some levels of student debt and most importantly, also changing around um, the type of interest rates and type of things and making that kind of, even though it was hung up in court. And I think, and, and I knew this was the reason why they really wanted to block it. It was really so that they wouldn't have to run against candidates that supported this actually happening. But I think even that 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 nudge towards some type of debt cancellation or some of the more progressive things um, in that, I think, really, um, really uh, gave young people something to really like feel and like uh, go towards besides just running against <laughs> racist and all these other types of things. But I, I think I think that that lean towards more of the progressive, uh, some would say, you know, Bernie-esque type of policies, I think. Um, was a way of um, giving something to that progressive group who maybe um, felt that Biden was more centered than they would want to be. Um, and so I think I think that was a, a really uh, good benefit. And I hope that people will make some of those um, uh, uh, soft leans uh, going forward as well. So I think that was important. Um, as far as the, the, the Black <clears throat> men voting and that kind of percentage, you know, um, there's this song by Marvin Gaye um, called Woman of the World that I think really explains this dynamic very well. It's, but he has actually had like the vulnerability to like really say what it was about. And it's, 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 it's like um, it was supposed to be on what's going on because it's which was about his brother Frankie coming home from the Vietnam War. But he also had this song that didn't make the record about a black man who was returning from uh, prison and just talks about all the different systemic things that where he's kind of coming home and he's looking at where uh, the woman that he loves is is kind of further beyond further than where he is and all of these other obstacles. But he's just humbly just being like, all right, we're going to figure it out together. Where do you want me? Where do you need me to be? I got you. Right. Um, and I think there's been almost this and this almost trying to play um, maybe some of that difference. Um uh, and and where people may feel that they are um, uh, to kind of have this to play into that kind of massage noir against black women and trying to like pit that and there's that narrative that's there and 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 just people just trying to act like they're revolutionary when they're not you know like like uh, Killer Mike I'm gonna go shake Brian Kemp's you know and it's like bro when when King and Whitney Young and all and Andrew Young went in and was was taking pictures they came out with. A plan. They came out with some type of legislation. They were able to organize it, but you just came out with a picture. So, like, mm. what? What is you know? So, like, what? Why? Why are they somehow qualified? You know what I mean? Like, to be that kind of. But, but I guess if people are are just at that point, I guess that's kind of where they are. But, um, but for the majority, I mean, we can't forget how much black men like, um, who know the history, like, don't rock with the Republican Party, like. 
Um, I remember one time when I was knocking doors, <laughs> um, my first my first slate of signs did not have that I was a Democrat on there. So, you know, I my first round of literature, I'm knocking. I, I, I come up to this brother, older man. He's like, oh, hey, young brother, what you doing? I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm running. Da, 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 da. And he looks at my lecture. He's looking at my stuff and he's like, are you a Republican? I was like, nah, man, I'm a Democrat. He was like, oh, I was about to tell you to get off my lawn. <laughs> but it was like, you know, so it's still like very much like, we don't play, but um, I think I think people are trying to um, trying to wedge this kind of um, uh, animosity towards that, and, and I think I think there is a, a realm of that misogyny and some of those other things, rhetorics where you know uh, black men don't want to be held accountable, right? Um, uh, who who where they just want to believe whether it be uh, misogyny, whether it be you know people talk about you know like the Kevin Samuels followers and all those other things like. Like I, I think um, uh, perhaps um, there are just some things that they don't they don't want to be held accountable on. I mean, so I, there's this in my in my yeah. mind it shows up the most, and I know we've been talking about Georgia a lot, but it shows up the most when black women are on the ballot. And yeah. so, and I, and and it, you know, I would love to try to find an excuse for why this happens. But the the two glaring examples that you see throughout history is look at the black male vote, which was still very overwhelmingly Democrat with Trump v. Clinton, but it was more black men voting for Trump than they ever had before when you look at you look at that race. And then you look at the the what was what we were assuming was going to be the numbers of black men that were uh, voting for Kemp over over Stacey Abrams. Uh, you look at the Val Demings race, and you're sitting there saying you're scratching your scratch your head. And it's like this is this is what I told a colleague of mine the other day, which I I, I still believe in some ways to be true, but uh, because one night's not going to change certain things. But it was you could have a qualified woman candidate, and if they had a checklist for black men, and say the checklist is ten things, if that candidate the woman candidate knocked off eight things out of the 10 and then the, their opponent, whether it's a white male, if they knocked off two, you got, you know, I, you know, again, I hate to use direct examples, but I will in this case, you got a, a killer Mike type person of the world saying, Hey, look at what this person did. They did two things on this list. Meanwhile, the woman candidate, on the right? The woman candidate <laughs> is, <laughs> is saying, "I did eight of your request. I got eight or nine out of ten. and they're talking. And, and so, I just struggle with it. I've always, I've always struggled with it because, you know, in order for a lot of the candidates that we're talking about, Val Demings, Stacey Abrams, like I said, even going back to Hillary Clinton, they have to be overly qualified. I'm talking about. Oh, look at those resumes! Yeah. Overly qualified versus the the candidate they're running against, and I and I I still haven't been able to come to come to terms with some of that. Yeah, you know the thing about Killer Mike is he was just as toxic in 2016 when he was attacking Hillary uh, in favor of Bernie, right? Like, but a lot of people gave him a pass because it was Bernie, but. His, okay. his comments were inappropriate and like the irony to I remember when he introduced Bernie at one of the big events in 2016, he talked about like Martin King and not just settling for ice cream and like basically saying tokenism, right? And here he is and six years later doing the exact same thing that he, he claimed to like have such a disdain for us. Um, it's hypocrisy, it's backwards. Um, unfortunately, this is where we are. And I think Or or is it free thinking, Takeen? Is it is it is it liberation? Is there's, there's a difference between forgive forgive me, forgive me. These are layups. Thinking and, and critical and so, thinking. I mean, I, I'm looking for like opportunities to change this, right? Um right. You know, I think the I think the Val Demons race, the Sherry Beasley race. Um, you know, there are things that I think we definitely should learn from it. 
I'll be the first to tell you, I, we definitely don't have it all figured out in Virginia. We have a long way to go. But the Democratic Party of Florida, um, they're much further behind us. Can I, think this, can I ask Jewel? I want to ask Jewel a question. Jewel, oh, you're on mute. Where is that? Can you hear? Can you can you hear me, Jewel? Can you answer or no? Okay. I don't hear. I don't. I don't hear. I can't hear. I'm she trying to figure it. Okay. Did I mute or is it? Uh, I'm trying to figure out, and and uh, anybody can jump in. But can we nationally? Can we just wipe Florida? Can Democrats just kind of divert? Florida, like divert resources away. Like, can they take the 50 state strategy and make it 49 and just be like, y'all have Florida? I, I mean, I do think that we are investing way too much money in Florida and resources like time, energy, people, um, as well as money. But I don't think we should ever just like concede any place. Like, I'm con I, I'm ready to concede. I think I think I we mean, need if the Andrew like, Gillen situation went a little bit different. We might Florida. be having a different conversation too. I think we need to build the infrastructure in Florida, and I think that like if we had given some of those resources that we invested in Florida this year to Sherry Beasley in North Carolina, like we may be in a different place. We may be having a different conversation. Or Tim Ryan in Ohio, right? Is that the conversation? Or maybe Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin. Uh, no, so and. <clears throat> Go ahead, Alan. Go ahead. Look, I wouldn't be, look, I, I I would be too quick to wipe Florida off the board. I think. I think. I would. You're seeing. <laughs> I know. I'm, th <laughs> I'm through with Florida. I'm through it. In the, in the, I guess the personal turmoil uh, Andrew Gillum was going through, but like he had a, a dedicated plan to really build a lot of that. Like similar, it, it Florida right now is even though you know it, the result was you know Warnock and Ossoff in Georgia, but. Gillum was kind of running sign of that kind of parallel strategy of building those types of things in there. But then once he got into his trouble and now with, well, I don't know what, what, what the new scandal is, but like, I think the absence of that figure and that national energy, kind of like how, a, a, a you know, a beta was like trying to slowly over a long process work over Texas. But I think the absence of that is there. And I just don't know if they have the, like the, the figure or this, or the, or the person that can really like figure that out. Um, and uh, I don't know, bro. I, I say that only because, as as I guess, as notable as a candidate as Gillum was, and how close as he came to winning at the time that he ran free scandal, right? Val Demings is an extremely qualified candidate. Now, there's obviously there's some police history there, right? There's some Listen, there's but... right there's there's things that would turn my brother turn people off. No, but. Uh, my 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 thing with Florida is that I I think it's 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 a moving in the wrong direction type situation, and they have to show. I, I would think a lot of states um, have to show real progress of moving in the right direction, uh, or else I would say like devoid of certain resources. <laughs> Yeah, well, I, I, mean, I get, I get, I know, uh, like the party can't say that, but I would be like, put that money in Colorado, put that money in Arizona, put that money in Nevada. Well, Florida so just kills thing. me. I think for the past twenty-two years at this juncture, right, like we've invested a lot of money in Florida, but unfortunately, I think Florida's infrastructure, like Democratic infrastructure, is going the wrong way, and so like we're continuously putting money in Florida and saying, oh, like we can be competitive. Like there's an opportunity, but like you can't start this work. You know, as Jewel talked about earlier with candidates, like they can't show up in October. We can't start this work in August or September and then think mm -hmm. that like we we're doing the work necessary to flip a state like Florida. Like, right. But I don't think that's time. I don't think that's the case. I think we've been. Yeah, I mean, I, but. So maybe I'm the eternal optimist, but right, right, right. I, I think we should continue to do some of the work, but we should say, okay, like the, these are our goals. These are how many people we're going to register to vote. These are the, um, the, the cities that we're going to try to get a majority on council. Like, I think we have to rebuild that party from the ground up in Florida because I don't know how much y'all follow like some of the democratic politics, but 
Florida is like ground zero. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think they're just uh, very united on the crazy right now. Like, I think I think the only and this is this is strange. This is me just just spitballing. But as you as Coop has already said, we don't really do the uh, predictions anymore. But I'd be very interested to see what what it would what the dynamics between kind of the split that's going on in the Republican Party, which I think is is kind of the reason why that red wave or that red drip didn't really even happen. Um, I'll be very interested to see, um, and I think President Biden said this today in his uh, press conference. Like, it'd be very interesting to see by uh, Trump and DeSantis go kind of kind of go after each other, and it'll be very interesting to see with a cult like following that Trump has if he starts beefing with DeSantis or what do you call him, Ron DeSanctimonious or something. It's, like it's already started. It's already started. It's yeah, already started. But, but it'd be interesting, like after that split, like if there's a primary between DeSantis and and Trump. For president in 2024 like if, i think it's i think it's if, already if started enough spite that you know some people might you know what i mean if there'd be the, like a weakness that where where it might be interesting to see what it is around ground game with more of a split republican party just like in the same way how there was very much a very um um moderate and progressive split in the democratic party and there have been like some wedges that have happened there but it's just, yeah. I just would be interesting I, I, I will tell you this i think it's already started and i think the question is if either one of them blinks, right? There's a there's a strategically, given what we saw yesterday, and like you said, the the it there's an interesting dynamic because if there was indeed a red wave and they won the house by 30, 40, you know, 45 seats, and they took over the Senate by a, a, a couple of key Senate seats, and maybe they flipped, you know, they ran the entire straight and, and flipped everything. Well, then you would see, I think, an emboldened Trump that says, see, look, look at what I did. My candidates are, you know, we're doing good and we're, we're waving all across. And you would also see, obviously, what, what we're seeing with uh, DeSantis in, in Florida. What What's happened now is, I think, extremely in interesting because nationally it's much closer. And what that means is, you know, uh Ron DeSantis just won re-election. He's got at least four more years. And so he would have to decide if he's running for president almost now, right? Or he, what he could do is say, hey, look, this, this what happened yesterday proves that uh, the Democrats and Joe Biden, President Biden, are going to be a lot more motivated than we thought. They're going to have a lot more um confidence than we thought you know what i mean it's not this you know just punch on biden president biden like a punching bag so there's an idea that somebody like ron DeSantis says hey let's wait till biden gets out and run and, and eyes what would be you know a possible race against vice president harris or or another candidate and says hey trump you have it with the with with nobody thinking that you know trump probably wins if he runs again there's there's a whole lot of yeah, Interesting yeah, but, inside baseball. So this is the thing, like six years is a mighty long time to wait. You know, tell Chris Christie, right? You know, Chris Christie was yeah, in this same place. Superstar, right? You know, I mean, we think about in 2000 or even 2002, no one thought that, like, who was Barack Obama, right? At that point. Right. Absolutely. And, and then, you know, the whole world changes and he gives that speech in 04 and gets elected to the Senate in 2006. And so I don't know if DeSantis is willing to wait that long. Study long, study wrong half the time. It, um, it's, it, it, you, you mentioned Obama, like I said, Chris Christie, Mario Cuomo. These are all people that could have been possibly president of the United States if they didn't wait there. You know what I mean? Right. Wait for the right opportunity, right? Yeah. And so um, it's it's interesting, right? That this this rift that they have, and it's also interesting that, like, I, I feel like in some ways, media they're trying to prop up DeSantis now, um, and like, let's call it with it. You know, he was expected to win yesterday, right? Like, yeah, by I, a lot. Okay, Charlie, that, that wasn't a surprise. No. Um, you know, I mean, the thing that I'm hopeful for, I'll, I'll say this. I mean, 
I hope Donald Trump announces next week. Like that's the best case scenario for us with this runoff. Like let Donald Trump run and we make the next uh the next month about Donald J. Trump, right? Like in Georgia. Everything about Donald Trump. Because as much as people think about Trump, like Trump never had a pl- plurality, right? Like in 2016, I think he only got 30, 33% in the primary. It was just 17 people. Sure. And so, you know, in Georgia, I think this is something that also helped Kemp. Like, hey, I stood up to Trump. I beat this guy and Trump lost the election there in 2020. So, hey, by all means, Herschel Walker invite Trump. You know, Trump, have your big announcement next week. Throw all the throw all the rocks that you can at DeSantis. Like, let them fight all they want. We're gonna run our race. Alan, let me ask this before we get you out. We're coming off on eight thirty. This is the Chiefs Movement Podcast. I've got Takeen Cooper with me. I've got Alan Charles Chipping. I want to thank Jewel Jordan for being on as well. Alan, what should we be looking forward to? Uh, what should we be looking? I said forward, but what I mean, what should we be aware of? Looking out for? Looking forward to? As we go through the next couple of really days, obviously we got to figure out what the actual Senate and house look like, but what should we be aware of as we go through the next Congress and leading into the next uh, major national election, which would be two years in the presidential election. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they need to get back to some of the, um, I think they, they need to come back to like, the child, um, the child tax credit, or like some of the, or or some of the things uh, that were part of the Build Back Better, I think would be helpful. You know, one one of my concerns, why I, why I wasn't, I'm I'm pleasantly surprised, but why I wasn't feeling as good about um, uh, yesterday was I felt that the Democrats were trying to have these very big like conversational like democracies on the ballot, all these other types of things, which is true, you know, and, you know, talking about early stages of fascism and all that stuff, which is important and true and is happening. But um, people are really concerned around like, you know, I was talking to older gentleman in Kroger in Lombardi, in Lombardi and he was like, young man, what did your mother used to make you when you were a child? I'm like, oh man, you know, cream of wheat. He's like, how much was it? I was, it couldn't have been more than 179. He's like, young man, young man, why is this cream of wheat 4,039 cents? The cheer apple cinnamon cereals is six thirty, and I was just thinking, like, what is the message, and how does this really hit home for people like Mister Hubert? That was his name. Um, and, but I think there's like, I don't, I don't want to see us make the same mistake that we made in Virginia, where we're going for like, it's Donald Trump, it's democracy, it's all these other types of things, where you know it's hard to have those dinner table conversations when it's hard to put dinner on the table. But there are a lot of good things that uh, Democrats have done, or at least attempted to do. Um, that I think um, they should really drive home to, hey, well, if you care about inflation and people are kind of running on these things, like, let's talk about, you know, some of the um, issues that Katie Porter has been talking about around the price gouging. That's really the cause for why these things are kind of going up, going back to the child tax care credit, going back to, um, you know, really, how can we help um, uh, families not just have a conceptual connection to what the Democratic Party is doing and this abstract, you know, justice and things like that. But like people aren't eating, you know, you know, people aren't bringing justice and putting on the on the table and, you know, eating that, you know, I think there's a ways to do both. And uh, by really focusing on giving people some victories where they're able to say, you know, like, like, you know, like people say, there's a reason why Donald Trump put his name on the stimulus checks, right? Um, there's some political strategy to that. I think there's some things in Build Back Better. I think there's some things in, um, um, some of these initiatives, um, you know, if they can do some things with uh, the housing market and a lot of these things that are making what people call the American dream uh, less and less accessible and some, some, you know, focusing on some of those issues, which I think could also be a great meeting place for some of those um, uh, leaning towards some of the more progressive um, issues, you know, um, I think that would affect turnout in the future. But, you know, that's what I would focus on if I was, if I was, if I was Biden, um, I think it's time to really stop letting, um, the mansions and the cinemas of the world really start, you know, clowning people's own agenda. And um, I think if we can get that going, I think there's a good case for um, when these next round of elections come up, in my opinion. Yeah, here's the thing. Whatever happens, I think it's going to be tougher, right? To, to So what I'm, what I'm hearing is that 
basically the Biden administration and Congress and, and those guys, they need to execute and deliver on, you know, they need to actually do things. Like, and, and, and to their credit, I would say going into this midterm election, as a pair, compared to Takeen, we were going into last year's uh, races in Virginia. Leading up to last year's gubernatorial statewide races in Virginia, Congress failed to enact just about anything. I mean, nothing. I think there is a, a number of points going into the midterm elections that the Biden administration ultimately could say, hey, look, we passed this, we passed this, we could take things home, you know what I mean, and, and show people. Now, and again, Alan, I think these are big picture things. These aren't um, things that you're talking about are going to affect the price of cream of wheat. And I think that's the easiest um, target, right, for any opponent, for an, any, any incumbency is, hey, look at inflation, look at the cost of living, look at the, you know what I mean? Like, look but at that's these what, that's, things. That's, that's what Whitman ran commercials on, even though, you know, his Absolutely. party was against everything. Absolutely. Like, and it was very tactic. smart. It was a very smart tactic because here's the realities, I think, of what we're looking at is even if the price of gas comes down, it's not going to come down to the to the price of gas when I was in high school, right? Sure. So we're, we're even if the price of some you know consumer goods goes down, it's not you know what I mean. The 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 price of a living wage goes up. It's still going to be lower. You know what I mean than 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 the than the change. So I I, I think we we have to educate folks. Uh, yeah. I think there's a there's an education element. So what, what you know, in 2022 and moving forward, what some of this stuff looks like, um, because even if there were no supply chain issues, even if there wasn't a war in Ukraine, even if there, like some of these prices are still going to go up. And, and so, price gouging. yeah, there's I mean, a like, lot. It, it, there's a lot. There's a lot that goes into it. And and I think my point is, I think you got to deliver on. Uh, you know, I think you 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 work as hard as you can to deliver on some of the bigger. I, I mean, student loan debt. I think it's huge. I think housing, as you mentioned, uh, doing things with uh, you know housing and evictions across the nation, I think are huge. Um, I, you know, I think it gets harder. I think it gets harder in January, no matter what the landscape looks like, because you know it's going to more than like it does. I was told, or I read today, it doesn't matter if the house flips by a hundred votes or one. Because they're, it will be ran like they have the majority that they'll have. Um, yeah, all the crazy so, about to pull up on McCarthy. Uh, my, my main concern with the, with the Biden administration, and you know, I love the infrastructure bill. I'm organizing around that, and we're we're getting some um, you know um, connections for that, and some of the organizing we're doing. But I don't I don't want to be in a case where Biden, where the majority of Biden's agenda are things that we're going to feel in six to eight years versus that we're going to. Right. Because it's it's going to be that does affect electoral politics. Like I said, I think the problem is after come January, I I just don't see a lot getting done no matter which way you do, because you're back to, you know, having to get something to the House, having to get something to the Senate, having the president sign it. I mean, it's legislative. It's not. It's not going to be an easy thing. You got to take advantage of what you can now, and that's, I think, the crux of frustration when you look at, like you you had mentioned, um, you know, two senators in particular that that seem to often hold up things longer than they should. Um, but I think those are the challenges, right? Because you had that window, um, and I, like I said, I think I think the administration did a really good job in delivering some of these things, especially as we came into this year. Um, I, I really do. Um, and I think that I think that's a challenge. Oh, Takeen, yeah. I'm going to give yeah. you the last word because we're going to get out of here. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think kind of you talk about that strategy. If you look, you know, the past six, eight months or so, the administration, they've kind of changed their priorities. Right. So instead of making it like this one big pie in the sky, the largest bill ever, they've started like piecemealing it and saying, hey, like right. we're going to accomplish something. And so. I think that was an effective strategy leading up to the midterm because then the president could go around, not to mention, if you look at the places that he actually visited, like those were really positive for us, right? So like the president went to Pennsylvania, Featherman won. 
Uh, he didn't go to Wisconsin, even though he won Wisconsin and Barnes lost. Right. And so, um, but he had that narrative over the past six, eight months, like, Hey, look, we are, we beginning to accomplish these things. And so today he was saying, Hey, we, the American people will begin to see the fruits of that labor in Q1. So I think that's kind of a lofty expectation, but we will see. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, I, I mean, you was talking to Lacey, man. It was a Delaware Dawn out there. Pinstripe Joe was at the, was out there. Gentlemen, <laughs> last, 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 final word on this, and last question. And I know you guys don't do predictions, but when it's all said and done, uh, Nevada, Arizona, Georgia, uh, where, where, where does this, where does, what does the Senate look like? We're going to fifty-two. I don't. I hope we can get. I hope we can get Arizona and Georgia. That's what my hope is. I think we're gonna get Nevada as well. When I saw an article today that said that all of the, uh, yeah, we're gonna get 51, 52. But I, the article I saw earlier today said that all of the day of voting, all those ballots have been counted. Mm. Um, and I think the you know the early vote, the vote by mail, I think those are going to be positive for for the senator. So I, I think I think we definitely have a shot in the in Nevada, um, Arizona, and you know, Alan, y'all trying to make this trip down to Georgia? I, man, listen, <laughs> I was like, I, I might go down and have to start talking, man. But that's the thing because that two percent, I don't remember even the name of the candidate, but I was like, ask them libertarians, man. Um, yeah, Georgia, they got two percent. Where they're gonna, right. where they gonna yep. recast, but I'm not sure if it's all gonna be with Warnock because you know, I don't know, man. But uh, here's you, the thing I, I think the, the, the question about Georgia is, is a matter of turnout at that point. When you go, anytime you go to a runoff type thing, and well, I mean, what we need to talk about is the history of runoffs and like why they exist because mm. it's racist, right? It's, it's kind of like the Dillon rule in Virginia, which I've softened on the Dillon rule now. That's another. <laughs> you're softening out. You're softening now. <laughs> well, look, I, I, look. I, I used to be I used to be bullish about we need to get rid of the Dylan rule, but after the sanctuary city um, mm, mm. nonsense a few years back, and I don't know if y'all been seeing, they're kind of trying to be, create these sanctuary. Well, those sanctuary cities were around gun rights, right? Second Amendment. Mm. Now they're trying to do the same thing around abortions, where local yep. legislative bodies yeah. are like banning abortions in municipalities mm. um and it's like y'all don't have the authority to do that but because of some of that behavior i'm like maybe we should keep the dylan rule um but the history of runoffs is really really interesting um maybe we have well, a group chat about it at some point we'll have to do it another time yeah. gentlemen thank you for joining the cheats movement uh thanks for talking about these uh th these midterm elections virginia just a recap if you're looking at virginia now uh, the makeup, what exactly, Takeen, what exactly are we looking at on the makeup? The first, uh, Whitman, the second will be, how do you say his name? Keegan's. The third will be Bobby Scott. Um, the fourth will be Donald McEachin. The fifth, good, Bob Good returns. The sixth is, who is ben the Klein. sixth? Ben Klein. Ben Klein returned in a big way. Uh, the seventh is Abigail Spanberger. Then we've got uh, the Northern – well, we've got – in the ninth, it's Morgan Griffith. But then you've got Wexon Connolly and um, – Buyer. Buyer as well. So it, it, it's the congressional makeup of Virginia's con congressional is really interesting. Um, obviously, you have two Democratic senators, but you have a Republican governor. So Virginia is, is all over the place, and it's something that I think we'll be keeping an eye on and we'll be – uh, talking about and discussing different topics. We don't do this often on the Cheats Movement anymore. <laughs> we used to do it. We used to do it a lot. Uh, we used to do the city a lot. Uh, but I thought it was uh, an interesting opportunity to come on and talk about these midterms uh, as they're still, like I said, still counting votes, still hangs in the balance. But I think the overall consensus is, uh, you know, this country is not as 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 far to one side one way or the other uh as as we might have thought uh, going into this 
going into Tuesday. So, gentlemen, I thank you. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, we see it. Yeah. Yo, yo, I'm trying to play leaving. Right. See you at the end, bro.